tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything that God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 5. Hey, sweet friend, I'm so glad you joined us today. I've really been looking forward to talking to Michelle Couchette. I've admired her for years as Michael Hyatt's co-host on his leadership podcast, This Is Your Life, but I've grown to respect her even more after a brutal bout with cancer changed the way she looked, talked, and lived, sending her on a soul-deep journey to rediscover herself and the God she thought she knew. I know you're going to get a lot out of this show. I certainly did. Michelle is not only inspiring, she's a genuinely wonderful person. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to have you with us today. Welcome, Michelle Cachette. Hey there, I am so glad to be here. In fact, we've chatted for many minutes before we even started recording. (laughs) I know it, I know it. We may have to do a little outtake reel just so they can get in on it. Yes. It was good. It was good. Lots of laughter and a few nuggets in there too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was telling you that I have admired you from afar and just appreciated so much your um just your your realness, um, your honesty about your journey, but most of all just how you wear Jesus. You just wear him so well, my friend. Oh, thank you for that. You know, it's um I receive that, but there's this internal part of me saying, man, Jesus and I have had a rocky road. (laughs) Mm. It's been just, you know, I love him with all of my heart, but it's, you know, I'm 47 years old. It's been a journey, a -hmm. journey of uh, loving him and then falling back in love with him over and over again. Oh, but don't you think that's the best way? You know, I kept thinking it was going to be this uninterrupted line, you know, just upward always. But I like what Samuel Rutherford said way back, like 400 years ago. He said, oh, the twisting, winding way he's taken me. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. But for me, I know it's, I think it's deepened my walk. Um, I think it's, I think that there's something about that crucible that brings a purity and a depth. I mean, we'd rather not take that route. I was going to say, it wouldn't be my preference. No, <laughs> if no. If we were yeah. choosing ice cream flavors, pain uh-huh. and suffering and questions would not be what I would choose. But, <laughs> but right. as you said, the reality is, is uh, those are the things that add uh, um, depth and uh, passion and loyalty and trust to a relationship. I mean, you don't have that in any relationship without a bit of struggle. I agree. I agree. Otherwise, I think we're just, we're really just acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Um, would you tell us a little bit about your story for those that maybe don't know about you, my friend? I would be happy to. I'll give you the very brief version, which will be longer than brief, but it's about as short as I can get it. Um, I... In short, I was raised in a home where I've always known Jesus. My parents became Christians when I was about five or six months old. Uh, At that point, the moment my parents decided that they believed that Jesus was it, we were in church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, and multiple days in between. And so I've never not known anything but faith, a life of faith in, in, in God, his reality, and the fact that he sent Jesus for me. Uh, However, Uh, I had somewhere along the way through my childhood, early adulthood, 
turned my faith into a transactional relationship. I believe that if I did everything God wanted me to do, if I followed him and did everything that was right and avoided all the things that were wrong, then I had the recipe for a good life. And uh, it all seems like it made sense. It seemed like to some extent when I made good choices, I had good results, right? We kind of experienced that as kids. Mm -hmm. However, then I became an older adult and started to deal with unexpected circumstances. Things like I ended up divorced and a single mom in my 20s, completely unexpectedly. Uh, I remarried and dealt with stepfamily, which, you know, I thought was just going to be perfect and turned out to be a little bit more complicated than perfect. And then uh, about the time that I thought I was catching my breath and everything was going to be okay, uh, when I was 39 years old, two days before Thanksgiving, I found out that I had cancer of the tongue, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue which mm. I didn't even know existed. So to give you some context, uh, I, for at that point in time when I was diagnosed, I was making my living as a communicator and a coach to communicators. So, wow. yes, exactly. So I was rather attached to my tongue. It was not something I really wanted to give up or lose or compromise. Uh, not to mention just hearing the word cancer at 39. And so what followed uh, was a surgery and different doctor's appointments and scans and all of that kind of uh, world overturning events. Uh, and eventually I found out that they caught it early. We put cancer to the side and never expected to see it again. However, what would happen over the next five years is I would go through cancer diagnoses two more times, each time more serious and significant than the time before. Uh, by the third time, they removed two thirds of my tongue. Again, remember I'm Mm. I made my living as a speaker, a communicator. I had been on podcasts that had millions of downloads, and I had traveled with Women of Faith on tour, and I had traveled and spoken all around the world. And I, I coach speakers quite frequently. So I lost two-thirds of my time. I was in the ICU uh, during Thanksgiving in the hospital for a week. Uh, they gave me about four weeks to recover, after which they put me into an intensive radiation and chemotherapy regimen, very intense, by the way, uh, radiation and chemo come in different flavors and varieties. But I can tell you that when you have radiation on the head and neck, it's an entirely different animal. Mm. You cannot burn that part of your body without significant uh, pain and trauma. And so what followed for the next uh, several months was chemotherapy, radiation, followed by another week in the hospital where they did something uh called brachytherapy, which was internal radiation. I'll spare you the details, but uh, they basically injected it directly into me. Uh, all of that to say, by the time all was said and done, uh, I had a feeding tube for six months, a tracheostomy for two, burns over the upper half of my body, my neck and my face. And I would never talk, eat, drink. Uh, I would never use my mouth the same way again. I'd have to learn how to do all of those things from ground zero. And uh, I, it's hard to even describe. I did not know that a human could experience so much physical suffering and still live. And then after the physical suffering started to ebb, I didn't know a human could experience such depth of grief and sorrow and loss and trauma. And and, and somehow get through it to a place where she could find joy again. And that kind of sums up the last four years of my life is fighting, fighting to find 
Jesus in the middle of the worst of life and then finding fighting to find out who I am in the middle of all of that. Yeah. Wow. Because that that second part, I mean both parts of course are are really a huge part of all of our journeys, but that second part finding who I am when I'm no longer who I was. Yes. Yes. You know, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I found my identity, my security, my sense of worth in what I did, in my role as a mom, in my career, in my appearance, in my voice, if you would ask me that, I would have flat out given you a no, 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 no. My identity is in Christ. I mean, I've thrown around that that phrase for a long time. And I really believe that's where it was. I don't think we really know where our worth is rooted until what it's really attached to is taken away. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And then we're forced to face the truth. And that's what happened with me. Wow. Wow. So, you know, not all of us have such uh, really, uh, what would even be the right word? (laughs) Sensational. (laughs) Sensational. Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's kind of extreme, isn't it? It's an amazing story. And there's other things I didn't even share, right? I just gave you the highlights, and which I always remind myself of that when I encounter other people with hard stories. That usually we're only seeing just the barest percentage of the reality of their hurt. Right, right. And yet it's interesting because I think the thing that was challenged for you, your identity, is the thing that a lot of us as women with with far less trauma maybe no trauma comparable trauma at least we should say mm-hmm. comparable trauma in our lives and yet we really do struggle to understand yes. our value and our worth apart from what we do well my what's interesting is uh, the can what cancer does it, it forced on the outside what all of us carry on the inside mm, yeah. uh, it cancer made readily visible and apparent the woundedness that we all carry. Every single one of us has something about ourselves that is flawed or broken or, or wounded in some way that makes us feel less than. It makes us feel unworthy or not good enough. And it comes from a, a myriad of places, but we all have it. Um, what cancer did for me, it just forced me to not be able to ignore it and hide from it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Do you think do you think that a lot of us have become um professional at hiding from those questions? <laughs> I think we are professional at avoiding anything that's uncomfortable or painful. Yeah. I think that's part of and I really do believe us unfortunately part of the benefit of being an American of being in western civilization is that we have at our fingertips uh just a wide variety of things that offer comfort. Right. Um, downside of that is we have lost our ability to wrestle with pain. And so as a result, we are always numbing. We're always going to the thing that makes us feel better in the moment, but not in the long term. And so we don't wrestle with these things like identity. We just find ways to cover up what really hurts, Um, whether it's our appearance or or uh, an overdrive work ethic, or whether trying to please our spouses or children or parents or whatever it is, we become uh, almost desperate in the need to not think about uh, the things that we feel make us flawed. And yet on the flip side, I think there's a lot of us that are so fixated on our flaws and inadequacies that we never get around to living either. 
Yes, totally. In fact, I kind of divide it into two categories. I say we either move toward isolation or perspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, right? We either isolate. Basically, we shut down and stop showing up with our real selves, with the people around us. We just kind of numb and we shut down. So we isolate. Or we perspirate, so we work extra hard to try to do, 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 earn, 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 be, 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 everything that we need to be to everyone around us. Yeah, for sure. So what do you say to that woman who's either um, avoiding the hard questions or um, fixating on the questions? How do we start asking the right ones? Yeah, well, running and hiding doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, there's no, there's no relief in running or hiding. Uh, at some point, we have to sit. You know, we have to just stop and sit. And really, the safest person to sit and deal with the pain with, with the wound, with the flaws, with is Jesus Himself. Uh, and and we forget that. I mean, this is what is so miraculous about Jesus is that. God, who lived in absolute perfection in heaven, right? He lived in a place where there was no insecurity, no codependence, no um, confusion about identity. God didn't spend, you know, millennia wrestling with who he was. He knew who he was. He lived in absolute perfection where there was no pain and suffering. And he said, but I want to be closer to my people. I want to be closer to them. So we put on the pant legs of the human experience. He put on flesh and blood and bone and nerve endings and pain receptors and everything else and entered into uh, our human reality to connect with us. Now, that, that could not have been easy for a God who knew perfection, but he did it because he wanted to be close to us. And what that tells me is... I can bring all my pain and garbage to him. If he was willing to put on pain for me, I can be willing to sit in pain with him. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, I, I'm holding your book, I Am, uh, in my hands. Such a beautiful book. And really, I think, a wonderful companion to this whole journey of to coming to that place of identity. Um, Michelle's book is called I Am, A 60-Day Journey to Knowing Who You Are Because of Who He Is. Talk to us a little bit about that. How does coming to understand um, who our Father is, who Jesus really is, help us come to a better understanding of ourselves? Well, what's interesting about that book is I contracted to write that book years before cancer came back for the second and third time. So mm-hmm. I had no idea what was coming. And, uh, and I started writing it uh, five months after, let's see, four months after ending treatment for the third diagnosis. So four months is relatively soon. I was still very much on the couch, very weak, still having a hard time doing day-to-day life. And I started writing this book on identity. And at that point, I had no idea if I would be able to travel and speak again, if I would be able to do podcasts again, if I would be able to do any of the things I did before, Hmm. Uh, not to mention the normal day-to-day experience of being a mom to six kids and a wife to a husband. So so writing this book, I mean, I was writing it in the trenches (laughs) as I was wrestling with this. And, uh, And I started to realize that really we source our identity in, uh, in our careers, in our roles, in our talents, in our appearances, and in our relationships, right? That's how we really make our identity. We let people know, I'm a good cook, 
or <laughs> I am five foot seven with brown hair. You can look at your driver's license and it will give you a description of your identity, right? Right. Um, but the problem is, if you can lose it, it's not who you are. Ah, that's good. That is really good. And for those of us who are getting older, not that you and I are getting older, my friend. No, of but course not. Those, <laughs> but for those of us who are getting older, all five of those things, career, role, challenge, appearance, relationships, change. Yeah. All of them do. We have very little control over this. You can moisturize all you want, but sister... Eventually, our skin is going to show signs of age and our appearance is going to change. All right. So that means we need to start finding our identity in something that is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Something that does not shift, does not alter, does not change. And the only thing that we cannot lose is God's love. Amen. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. That is outside of the possibility of being lost. God's love is it. And so when we start to sit in that, oh my goodness, all of a sudden, what feels so shaky underneath our feet turns to cement. Hmm. And so what I had to do is I started, I had to start capturing, um, well, I had to start paying attention to what God says about me. Yeah. I had been spending so much time listening to what I said about me, what other people said about me. And let's be honest, I'm much meaner to myself than everybody else is. Right. Right? Right. And so I needed to start cataloging what God has said about me. And so in I Am, there are 60 chapters. Each chapter starts with a different verse in scripture where God or Jesus speaks directly about how he feels about us. Mm -hmm. So that changes the narrative. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think I think so many times I live by what I feel rather than <laughs> no, by what God not. says. <laughs> well, oh. one, of the, one of the reasons why I love you so much is I found out you're an Enneagram too. And I am, and I am oh. too. And so, yeah, we're, we're very much feeling kind we of people. We feel all feelings, all of the feelings. <laughs> so much. I wish I could share them and pass them around. <laughs> I know. I well, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of people would rather not have them. I've been thrown, known to throw wonderful pity parties and no one comes. So I'm I not know, sure. I know. I had one <laughs> yesterday. How's that for timely? I was in my office crying. I actually stuck my bottom lip out and pouted and my husband looked at me and goes, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I'm like, stop. I'm feeling all the feelings. <laughs> I think that that's the thing I've come to so appreciate about Jesus is that he can handle all my feelings. Yes. Oh, yes. And that I can bring them to him and I can pour them out. And I, you know, after I, I have a, a kind of a story like yours is I was a good girl raised in a good, great Christian home, loved Jesus. And yet I really bought the lie that I had to perform to earn his favor. And, um, and no wonder, you know, no wonder my feelings were like a roller coaster because yes. on the days I did well, I felt really wonderful. And mm -hmm. on the days I did poorly, I felt terrible. And I've just really asked the Lord, would you, would you give me an accurate estimation of myself? Um, because, you know, we don't want to think too highly of ourselves, but we've got mm -hmm. to be careful we don't think too lowly others. So mm -hmm. other also, so I love that whole idea of let's, let's go back to what he says about us. And it's not our roles 
because like you say, if it can be taken away from us, that's not really who we are. Um, So powerful. So powerful. What are um, some of Jesus's words that particularly helped you in this journey? Well, what's interesting is a lot of people want to have only the happy phrases, Mm. the I am beautiful, I am strong, I am chosen, (laughs) I am loved. We love those. They feel so good. But I know that there's a dark side to me too. And this sounds strange, but I found more freedom in owning, uh, owning my brokenness, my and I know some people don't like that phrase of broken. Here's the truth. I'm human. I mean, my body shows evidence of brokenness. <laughs> okay. So I am broken. I will be made whole someday in heaven, but in this life, I am still not, I'm still not all together. And to be able to own that in front of Jesus in his presence was so freeing. So phrases like, um, I am needy. Yeah. Sometimes I am. Um, I am, um, I am weak. Yes, sometimes I am. Being able, I am proud. Here's another one. I am proud. Yes, I am. Being able to own the what seems more negative along with the good put me in the perfect place to accept an unconditional love from Christ. Mm, I love that. And you have to have both. You have to have both. Because you and I both know we can't fool ourselves. We know. Right, right. <laughs> right? We know our capacity to um, completely blow it and, you know, fumble and blunder our way through life. I mean, usually I can see evidence of that with me and my family before 9 a.m. <laughs> so, I mean, it's right there. But, oh, what freedom for me to discover that um, I don't have to earn his affection. That I can say, I am proud, but God's grace is big. I am needy, but his love is sufficient. Yeah. Oh, amen. Amen. And I think I think the more we own our brokenness, it really leads us to Jesus. But we mm-hmm. can't just stay there wallowing in our brokenness. We just have to, you know, like that little child who, who falls and just lifts up their arms crying. You know, we just have to see our father reaching down and picking us up and brushing us off and then comforting us and then putting us back on our feet and saying, okay, hold on just a little bit longer. You've got <laughs> yes. this girl. Yes. You can do this. Oh, you so know, we beautiful. want we want confidence, right? We want to be women of confidence. And we forget, though, that the cement under confidence is actually humility. Yeah. Mm. And I really believe this. True confidence has at the base a sense of humility that we don't have to we don't have to toot our own horn or puff ourselves up or try to be bigger than we are. True confidence has a settledness about it. And it's because it's rooted in an honest humility. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. I I feel like sometimes we are being, um, we're being encouraged to kind of prop ourselves up and rather than really just lean into Jesus, you know, and, and even lean into our weakness. You and I were talking, you actually have a mastermind and, and coach women in leadership. And I think, I think that that whole thing, you know, we want to be confident, bold women of God. We want to fulfill our purpose, but how do we do that? In fact, that's honestly the question I've been asking the Lord. How do I walk with a humble confidence? What does that look like, Michelle? Oh, wow. It's one moment by moment at a time. I I think it involves 
an honest self-assessment, self-awareness of our what what we struggle with, what we're growing in, what we're learning. Self-awareness is uh, so critical for any mm-hmm. leader. And what happens is if we're always afraid of being flawed, we can't risk self-awareness. Mm. We're always trying to prop ourselves up and make ourselves feel better. There is such freedom in just admitting that we, you know, that we failed. Yep, you're right. That's fair. I didn't handle that situation right. Uh, and knowing that we will not be shunned or rejected by the Savior because of it. It's so good. He's not surprised. He's not surprised. So that self-awareness, that ability to uh, to recognize areas that we need to grow in without, you ready for this, without beating ourselves up at the same time, right? We go one extreme mm-hmm. or the other. We either avoid and become proud and we get defensive or we um, beat ourselves like crazy for making a mistake. Right. And self-awareness, health, emotional health is being able to sit with Jesus in that and say, yep, you're right. I I could have handled that conversation so much better. I did not honor the person in front of me. All right, let's go own it and make it right and move on. I love that. I love that. Own it, make it right, and move on. <laughs> <laughs> and you do that little at a time because your original question was how do we build? That's what we do. Those little steps at a mm. time build confidence because because too many times we try to build confidence on our performance and that's going to fail us. Right. So our confidence is the fact that, hey, but I'm learning. We take the position of a student. We become a learner, not a performer. I love that. that. You can't fail at being a learner unless you decide not to learn. <laughs> right. Right. So when you're taught, when you're um, coaching women, what do you see is the thing that holds a lot of leaders back? Well, women in particular, and especially uh, if I may say, I'd be so bold to say, women who were raised in the church, we, many of us, uh, were not taught basic skills of human interaction. Like when we grew up, the message was the girls need to be obedient, and then the boys got more training and learning how to be assertive and how to communicate and speak their mind and all of this. But I did not, and I, I should be fair. I shouldn't make it just male and female. I know many men who didn't get those skills as well within the church. There was a sense of obedience means silence, and you cannot disagree. Mm-hmm. And learning basic skills of assertiveness, of respect, of telling the truth and honesty in a way that still is honoring, of knowing when to speak up and when to be silent, of learning how to ask questions and listen to answers how to reserve judgment and defensiveness until you hear, you know, all of those kind of skills that are necessary for human interactions and in work or neighborhoods or churches. Many of us never learned those things. Okay. And so part of what I do with the women that I coach in the mastermind and elsewhere is just creating a space for all of us to learn it together. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk about what it looks like to deal with conflict in a way that connects and not um, destroys relationships. That's so good. I think all of those things that you mentioned could be another podcast, my friend. Yes. (laughs) I love talking about that. I mean, I just, it was so eye-opening for me to realize that there was a skill set that I could learn that Mm -hmm. would help me enjoy life and relationships so much more. 
Yeah, because I mean, these these can translate to our friendships, to our marriage, to our yes. interaction with our with our um, boss or our employees, um, even adult children. Yes, I have three of yes. my six kids are adults now. Oh, <laughs> uh, we could talk. There's another yes. podcast episode. <laughs> I mean, learning how to navigate those conversations with mm-hmm. your twenty somethings. Yeah. In a way that shows them honor, listening to them and not thinking mm-hmm. that every conversation has to be a conversion. Oh, I love that. That's so important. Boy, God has taught me so much through my adult kids. You know, oh, and, and and I think if we're not willing to to transition our parenting, we're going to be pretty miserable. And mm-hmm. and they're going to be miserable as well. So I love that. That's such good <laughs> advice. <laughs> I, I tell people the reason God gave me six kids is because he knew I needed extra practice. So I have had <laughs> two decades of parenting practice and I'm I, I think I've made a few tiny steps forward in my ability, but I still have a long ways to go. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. We could talk for so long. And I'm really excited because you're going to be coming back um, yes. in November to talk about your new book. And um, so be sure you guys to tune in to that. But um, just coming back to this whole idea of um, of our walk with God and mm-hmm what that looks like on a practical level. You know, we're calling the podcast The Living Room really kind of a play on on Mary's relationship with the Lord as yeah. she sat at his feet. Would you mind giving us a peek at your walk with the Lord? I think sometimes those of us who maybe we don't we don't really have that um, and we don't even know how to get it. So mm-hmm. For I remember as a young pastor's wife, you know, I, of all the people in the world who should have known how to have a quiet time, I really didn't. And so mm-hmm. it was helpful for me to kind of see what the shape of godliness looked like in someone else's life. Do you mm-hmm. mind sharing a little bit? I don't at all. In fact, mine's changed a lot over the years. And, uh, and this, my approach may sound a bit unusual, but to give you context, it's a girl who grew up in the church, I've been reading the Bible since I was little, since I could read. Mm-hmm. And so I was always good at reading the Bible. I mean, I would get up, read my Bible. I would do Bible studies. I mean, it was my check mark, right? I was being the good girl. Right. So I've, I, I've always done my quiet time in the morning. Uh, and I would journal. I would read my Bible. I'd do my Bible study. However, what I started to realize in the last couple of years is I was going through the motions of trying to earn mm. God's approval rather than enjoy Him. Yeah. And yeah. so my quiet time now looks very different, very different. I get up uh, about five every morning uh, because it's the only time that I'm alone. <laughs> so I'd <laughs> like to enjoy that. And uh, I, I sit in a chair in my office. I've got a Bible and a journal. Some days I open and read a chapter. Some days I write something in the journal. And some days I just sit in my chair and and just listen. Hmm. Uh, there's no agenda. There's no check marks. Yeah. There's no um, exercise routine, if you will, right? There's no agenda that I'm going through checking off all the boxes. I'm trying to learn how to just sit with him hmm. and be with him without trying to please or earn him. Oh, I love that, Michelle. That is so beautiful. How has that changed things for you? Uh, I don't dread it. Ah. There were times when it felt like a chore, kind of like doing the laundry, right? I had, oh, I got to do my (laughs) quiet time. 
And I still had this voice in the back of my head, if you don't do it, God's going to be upset with you. And uh, I read several different books that have really helped me to see Jesus in a different light. One of them was Brendan Manny's Abba's Child, where yes. he, he, he talked about um, some counsel he gave to a nun once, where he simply told her to sit in her chair every day and pray and just simply open her hands and say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I mm. belong to you. And that, to be honest, is what I did this morning. I sat in my chair. I read a few verses. Um, but I just closed my eyes, wrapped myself in the blanket, opened my palms up to the ceiling and just said, Abba, I want you. And that's what's made the difference is because I'm learning. I feel like I'm starting from scratch in some ways, right? I'm like ground zero starting over, but I'm learning to love God for who he is rather than trying to get him to love me for what I do. Oh, that's so good. And it occurs to me that if we'll allow that shift to happen, then the reverse becomes true. And we don't have, he doesn't have to perform for us either. Yes. Yes. And that's a whole nother podcast. We can talk about that too, right? Exactly. Because that's what happens when the hard things happen. Then we're like, God, I've read my Bible and prayed. I expect you to show mm-hmm. up and deliver me from this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the moment of those crises, that's not what saves us. We need presence, not performance Amen. in the moments of our pain. Amen. Amen. Oh, this has been so rich. So very rich. Where can, um, where can we find more about you and what you do and your books? The easiest way to find me is at my website. It's, it's kind of the, um, the home base for everything online. And I'm on social media as well, but my website would be a great place to even connect with me on my social media accounts. And that is michellecouchat.com. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-E, one L. Kushat is C-U-S-H-A-T-T, two T's, so one L, two T's, dot com. And you can find out more about everything there. We'll definitely have all of the links in the show notes. One of the things I noticed is that you have a couple of seasons of podcasts on your website as well. Well, they are upcoming. What we're actually doing is turning them into videos. So I am all about... I want to connect with people and I want to be able to feel like I'm sort of face to face with people online. Mm -hmm. And so we are turning everything that was going to be a podcast into videos and you can get those on YouTube or on Instagram or Facebook. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And is there a name of that? It's called This Undone Life Together because I'm all about the undone life, but making sure we don't do it alone. Mm, that's so so good well thank you sweet friend i cannot wait till our time together in the fall me too this has been a wonderful time god bless you thank you joanna i'm looking forward to it what an amazing woman and what a journey i love michelle's honest transparency but i especially love that she's allowed the lord to work in her even in the midst of suffering We all need to root ourselves to the one thing that cannot change, the unconditional love and affection of our Father. Listen, girls, no matter what we're walking through, God's walking with us, and we're not alone. Do you have a friend who needs some encouragement today? I hope you'll share this podcast with her. And if you have time, stop over at iTunes and subscribe and and leave a review. That really helps us get the podcast in front of more people. You can find directions for doing that in today's show notes, as well as highlights from the interview and links to Michelle's amazing material. I hope you know how loved you are, my friend. 
No matter what's currently happening in your life, don't let it steal that heart-deep knowledge that you are loved and completely accepted. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, we don't have to look anywhere else than Him for our identity. So what do you say? Why don't we live from that place of enoughness, from the strength and ability that He wants to give, and that deep assurance that God will and can take everything that the enemy has meant for our evil and work it together for our good. Until next time, let's keep living, loving, and leading like Jesus. God bless you, my friend.